0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Oh, welcome, welcome. It is a week from Christmas. Thank you for being here with us in person as well as online. Uh, Man, I'm excited to be able to bring part three of our Missing Peace series. Uh, Excited to be able just to deliver the message today. Uh, And obviously we're seven days away from Christmas. Now, some of you, are freaking out right now. Like, this stresses you out. It is seven days away. You've got so much to do. But what I get excited about is the anticipation, the the excitement about what's to come and, 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 and what's, you know, going to experience this week. And there's going to be some of you, you're going to be traveling, you're going to be baking good smelly cookies and food things all week and just time with family uh, but just the anticipation of the, over this next week these next seven days is something that I love to think about when it gets close to Christmas something I also think about uh, but I don't love to think about it is all the missed gifts missed presents I had over the years the things I asked for that I didn't get you know what I mean you've been there Right. Uh, For the last 35 years, every uh, Christmas, I remind my mother that she did not buy me the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier that I wanted as a kid. And so she usually sends a text or somebody. There's a meme going around this year that she keeps sending me. She's like, I saw it again. I'm like, hey, it was two hundred dollars back then. And now it's worth like $2,000 on eBay. So like it would have been an investment, but she just, you know, so I have to remind her every year about the gift I never did get. And some of you, you can think of right now, you're like, oh man, I remember when I didn't get this. And it may be just the, uh, your kids are even thinking about like the anticipation of the things they want. And then there's also that side of them, but, but what if I don't get it? And what, what if it, it doesn't, it's not under the tree and uh, it, it kind of worries them a little bit. But another thing I think about this time of year is Christmas movies. Anybody else with me? You love Christmas movies? Yes, I love Christmas movies. Now, there's really like four that I like stick to. Like these are the movies. Like the other ones, like yeah, there's like this level, but there's like a four, three or four that like this, like the cream of the crop, right? Uh, and so I think of like my wife and I. Our favorite Christmas movie is Home Alone. Favorite Christmas movie. We love it. We watch it. We've watched it. I don't know, 15 times already or something. We've got our girls in on it. They love it. Uh, But one of the other movies that I consider one of the top uh, movies is The Christmas Story. And uh, I also think of like Christmas Vacation. Anybody with that one? Uh, You know, like you think about all the different movie quotes and characters that come as a part of Christmas and the Christmas movies. Uh, You know, when it comes to the Christmas story, the movie, The Christmas Story, Let let me clarify, the movie, The Christmas Story, not The Christmas Story, but when it comes to this, I think of Ralphie, right? Ralphie's got this one gift that he wants. He is so consumed by it. He's so, and you know, just the anticipation, the stress. What is that gift? And I'm going to read this because I don't want to mess it up. It's the official Red Rider carbine action, 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and the thing that tells time. And he's so excited. He's so just excited about this gift that he really, really wants to the point that he says it 30 different times in the movie. That same statement. He is anticipating what this is. He is stressed out about if it's going to come, if it's going to be there on Christmas morning, and you've seen the movie, you know how it goes, and you know the story. But when I think about Ralphie and that gift and what he is anticipating and the stress that comes with that, I think about how many of us get stressed over the fact that we, uh, we, we get so stressed that we actually miss out on feeling peace or peaceful because of the things that we are waiting on. We think about the things that we are waiting on Which is why today's topic, the the theme of the message today is, why is God making me wait? Because when we think about it in that way, we get so stressed and so consumed with just the, the anticipation of, why are we waiting on this? This is something I need or it's something I want right now. Just like Ralphie wanted this gun. When it comes to missing peace, we're missing out on peace because we are waiting. We're waiting on things like that call. That text, that email, that, that connection from somebody. Maybe some of you, you're waiting on a, on a job or a job promotion. Maybe you're waiting on uh, a certain money or like a year-end bonus from work. Maybe uh, for some of you, you're waiting on, the, on a home. You're waiting on a home. Maybe for some of you, you're waiting on a spouse. You're waiting to, to get a spouse. Like, that's what you're waiting on. You know, for some of you, and you live in Charleston, you're waiting on traffic always, constantly. Constantly. <laughs> right? Like we are always, and there is nothing that stresses me out like, like Charleston traffic, just traffic in general, but Charleston traffic, you know, the, the little, the Jesus fish that people put on your cars in the back of your, I don't put one on my car because I don't want people to know I'm a Christian when I'm driving because I get mad. I get angry. I am not a good reflection of Christ. And so I don't put that on there. I, that's why I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even have a coastal sticker on my truck. Like I don't want people to know because I don't want to be associated with that. But we think about how much peace we miss out in our own life because we are so stressed out in anticipating and waiting for something. Well, you know, there's a lot of people in Scripture that are waiting on something. And they're waiting on Jesus. They're waiting on the birth of the Savior, the one that God has promised to them, that promised to us that he is going to deliver and bring him to save everyone from their sin. If you would, read with me in Matthew 1, 20, verse through 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this passage of Scripture may be very familiar to a lot of you, uh, but this is uh, obviously where you see this, this point that Joseph is, is hearing about you know, Mary, his, his wife, who has conceived a, uh, a child uh, from the Holy Spirit. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm a little questioning about this, right? I'm like, I don't, I don't know that that's how that works, but it goes on to say, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. There is this promise that is made to Joseph in this moment, but the promise was made so much longer ago. So much more back in time, back in history. Now, we are waiting on, or they are waiting on this son, this child, and it says that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was born into this world to be God with us. He was born here to be with us, to be a human being just like you and me and to live here. Now, one of the worst feelings in life is to wait. And it's one of the worst feelings. Over these next seven days, you're, if you've got kids, your kids are like my kids probably. We're like, they cannot wait. It's like they've got, they got the countdown. they got the little paper chain. They pull the thing off or you got the little calendars or whatever. you got all these things. And they can't wait. And each night, as it gets closer, the anticipation gets bigger and bigger. And they can't wait. And they can't wait. Like, can I just open one little gift? No. Just one little no. Like, and like you're trying, it's just constant, right? And they're just getting so stressed in the anticipation of what's to come. But it's one of the worst feelings in life is when we are waiting on God. Have you ever felt like He's taken too long? ever felt like he's not listening to you you ever felt like he's maybe even forgotten about you we've probably all been there right we've all had this experience where we feel like like where is he where's God what is going on we are all waiting on something you know if you're watching online tell us what's something that you're waiting on maybe for you here think about it right now what are you waiting on personally in your own life what's something right now that you are personally waiting on is it that new job new career? Is it uh, you know, that, that you're in bonus? Is it a, a marriage that's, that's, that's hurt or that's broken you're waiting for it to be healed? Maybe it's anxiety or depression and you're waiting for that to just subside and just, to just go away. Maybe uh, for some of you, you're waiting on a spouse, waiting to meet someone who could become your spouse and the anticipation is just driving you crazy to where you do not have peace. You're stressed. You're struggling. And sometimes during this season, this time of year, this maybe weighs on us even a little bit more. That we've been waiting so long that we start to wonder, is God really there? Does he even care of what I'm going through, what I'm experiencing? Well, this is exactly what people felt like during biblical times when they were waiting on the Savior. Because you see, in the Old Testament, God promised to send the Messiah. He promised to send the Savior, but nothing came. They kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And God's people had been waiting since the beginning of creation, since the Garden of Eden, when he promised to send the Savior. And they were waiting all of these years for the Savior to come. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin against God. Three chapters into the Bible. You know the story, right? God creates the heavens and the earth, creates creates the world seven days. You know, two chapters later, the humans that he had created, Adam and Eve, sin against God. And they you know, go against what God tells them to do. And God confronts them in that. And, he, and when they, they are confronted, they begin to feel shame. And what we can do is pick up this passage of scripture in Genesis 3.15. Let me read to you this. This is God speaking to actually the serpent who led them into uh, rejecting and going against God. God says, I will put enmity. Enmity, if you don't know, is a word for another meaning of uh, the word like hostility. So God will put enmity, hostility, between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, uh, when I read that and I think between your, there, you know, there should be enmity between you and the woman, the snake and the woman, and between your offspring and their offspring, I think, like, my wife hates snakes, so this is still true today, and many of you would agree with me that, like, there is still hostility there. But that last part of that verse, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here's what I see here. Is that the serpent, the snake, may bruise the heel, may, may just make, make, you know, make, make somebody stumble But Jesus is going to bruise the head. He is going to, another term here would be crush, going to stomp on the head. He's going to take him out. That is this little infant child that we get to worship, that we celebrate during this time of year, is that he is going to come not just as a baby, but as a baby who grows into a man who overcomes death and defeats the the grave for us, for you and for me. Now, God promises right here in this third chapter of the Bible to send a savior and it's more than 3,000 years before the Savior comes. Talk about waiting, right? Talk about, why, you know, why is God making me wait? It's been six months, it's been six months. Like These people waited 3,000 plus years for the Savior to arrive. In Isaiah seven, uh, we're gonna read here in just a second. Isaiah seven, this is about 2,500 or so years after Genesis three, and it's about 700 years before Jesus is actually born. And on Isaiah, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, where did we hear that? We just read it, right? In Matthew 1. Matthew was actually referring back to this passage in Isaiah 7 uh, when he said the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall, give, can, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is promising here to send an amazing gift, a gift of salvation, a gift in the Savior, a gift in Jesus Christ to come and to be born into this world. But when Isaiah even says it to the people, just to, to reiterate what had been said in Genesis 3, it's still another 700 years before he shows up. Now, husbands, if when you propose to your wife, you say, hey, if, you know, would you marry me? And like you preface that with like, I will give you this gift if you will marry me. Like, I will give you whatever car that they want. I will give you a, a house on the cliffs overlooking the beach if you'll marry me. Or I'll give, you, I'll give you a credit card with an unlimited spending amount. Ladies would love that. That's a great Christmas gift, okay? Like, but if they made that promise to you, and ladies, you're like, yes, yes, let's get married. And you get married, and you go, and like, it's five years, and it's 10 years, and it's 30 years, and it's 50 years, and you're like 80 years old, and you're like, I still haven't got my car. I still haven't got my credit card. Where's my house? Overlooking the beach. And you're waiting on this promise. In that moment, you would smack him, and you would smack him over and over because you would be so upset that the promised gift never came. How would you like it if a gift was promised to you and you had to wait between three and 4,000 years for that gift to come? That's what the people of the Old Testament felt like. That's what the people in Scripture begin to feel like because they're like, why are we waiting so long? What are we waiting on, or why are we waiting on this? Because God promises to send the Savior, and for so many years, God's people waited. We can all relate to this. What you're waiting on uh, in your own life, maybe a little different. Maybe it's this exact same thing. So what are you waiting on God for? Better yet, the question a lot of us want to answer is, What is God doing while I'm waiting? Like, what's he doing? I'm waiting on the answer here. I'm waiting on this blessing. I'm waiting on this thing or this situation or something to be resolved or whatever it may be. But what's God doing? Well, there's this period of history that's actually not in the Bible Uh, That's called the intertestamental period, intertestamental period. Now, it's the 400-year gap from the end of the Old Testament, the very last words, to the beginning of the New Testament. There is a 400-year gap right there between these two, uh, Old and New Testament. And during this time, God did not speak. He went silent. He didn't speak. That's even worse than before, because at least in the Old Testament, after he had promised the Savior was coming, he still continued to talk. He still continued to to verbally connect with the people. Then he went 400 years without talking, without speaking, before at least God was speaking to them. And that sometimes would be a struggle for many of us if there wasn't any talking, if there wasn't any speaking, any communication, I've been married 16 years, and it, but it didn't take me until uh, probably 16 days to learn that when your wife is silent, it's not a good thing, right? Husbands, you agree. Like if you say, is everything okay? And they just go, hmm, you know something's wrong. In that moment, you begin to confess everything that you can think of. You're telling stuff that's not even known yet, right? Like you're, you're just laying down like, I know something's wrong. I've done something. Something's not right. But that's not the case with God. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not there, It doesn't mean he's not listening to you. It doesn't mean he's not working either. And so if it's not the same case with God, we feel like each and every one of us, we're like, man, I need an an answer. Uh, I need a sign. I need a a feeling. I need something. Anything is better than silence, which leads me to our very first point point, the very first truth that I have for you this morning, and that's this. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he is absent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he is absent. You may be going through life and you're like, I haven't heard God speak to me in a while. I haven't felt his, his leading or his nudge for me in my own life in a while. Like, is he still there? Have I, have I gone away? Have I walked away? You see, while we are waiting, God is working. Well, what's he working on? Why is he taking so long? Those are the kinds of questions that we have. If you look in Galatians 4, uh, verses 4 through 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons look at this verse in verse 24 when the fullness of time had come so this this when the time is complete when it's a, a full measure it's the perfect time the literal phrase here actually means when the time was fully pregnant so like when it had reached the end, it was ready to, to burst forth. It was ready to be born. It was ready to happen. The perfect time, when that fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, and that son was born of a woman and born under the law, just like you and me, that we were born of a woman, that we were born under the same law, the same you know, sinful human nature. We were all born into that and under that, but he was born to redeem those like you and me who were under the law. He was born to make the payment for sin on our behalf so that we do not have to. He was born to redeem us so that we might receive adoption as sons, meaning we might be adopted into the family of God. When we surrender our life to Christ who died on the cross for us, this, this baby Jesus that we celebrate and that we worship, that we get to experience adoption into the family of God. We get to experience it. It's an, it's an amazing thing because Jesus is born of a virgin, Mary. And he didn't inherit the sin nature of the earthly father because the Holy Spirit was who put the child into Mary. Now, Jesus was born without sin so that he could redeem us from sin. He was a perfect sacrifice. And that's really the story of the gospel is that we, each one of us, comes into this world as sinners. We have a sinful humanity, a sinful nature of of who we are. And and it's just the, the darkness of our heart. And then we also have sins that we commit, the things that we do, the, the, the lies that we tell, the mistakes that we make, the things that we do that are wrong and against God or against others. But Jesus comes into this world, born of a virgin, laying in a manger, lives this, this life of humanity, but lives it perfectly without sin. He lives this life until he's an adult, and as an adult, he goes to the cross, and he dies on the cross with your mind or excuse me, your name on his, on his mind, your, your soul on his heart, your sin on his shoulders, and he takes the weight of sin so that you don't have to. That's the Jesus that we get to celebrate. That's the Jesus that we get to experience, and for centuries, God had promised to send a Savior, and when did he fulfill it? At the right time at the exact right time, the perfect time. At the perfect moment, God sent his son, not when people thought it should be, but when he knew it needed to be. That's when it happened. Have you ever looked at your life and thought about the things that you've wanted and the things that you didn't maybe get or the things that didn't happen, how or when you wanted them. You're like, oh, man, I wish he would have answered this prayer. Uh, you know, maybe as a, as a teenager, we've all been there as a teenager and you're praying like, man, I, I pray she says yes when I ask her out or I pray he's going to ask me out. And then they don't. And you're like, man, like, I really needed that. I really wanted that. That's what I want. And now years later, you're friends with them on Facebook, and you're like, praise the Lord, right? You've been there? You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like I'm the only one. You all have been there too. Like, you, you're like, dodged a bullet there, right? Like, you've been there. Maybe you've prayed for a job, and you're like, I just really need this job, or I need this promotion. And then, like, you didn't get it, or even worse, somebody else gets it. And then you look back six months later, six years later, you're like, Good thing I couldn't have done that, or I didn't want to do that. And you think about all the things that God says no to in the way that He answers your prayers, or He doesn't do it in the timing that you want it to happen, and you just think, look back at it later on, and you're like, man, thanks, Lord. Thanks for not listening to me, because I didn't know better, even though I thought I did. Looking back, we can see why God waited to send Jesus. We can see why He sent Jesus at the time that He did, because God's timing is always perfect. His ways are always good. You know, just because God feels silent doesn't mean God is absent. He's still there. What it actually means, number two, while God's people are waiting, God is working. While God's people are waiting, God is working. He is working. He is doing something behind the scenes. I mentioned a moment ago, This intertestamental period, this time, this 400-year gap from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. You're like, well, what was God doing? He was silent. Why were, you know, people were waiting and what was going on? Well, what happened during this time? Well, let me give you a brief history lesson. I'm Professor Scott. There's going to be a test. It's pass fail at the end of this. I'm going to give you a couple things here that you should know about history in this 400-year gap. One of these. A guy by the name of Alexander the Great. You've heard of him? Alexander the Great. Uh, 12 years, he conquered uh, the, the entire world. You conquer the entire world, you could be called great too, okay? Like that's a, there, maybe that's a career goal for some of you. But Alexander the Great conquers the entire world. Well, why is this significant? For the first time in history, there is one common language spoke. And it's Greek. One common language. All of a sudden, everybody could either speak it or at least understand it. Enough to be able to transfer it to somebody else, and the Old Testament was translated into Greek for everyone to be able to read, and to know, and to understand. Another thing, the second thing that happened during this time is this new method of learning called the Socratic method. It's this way, this this way of learning that that emerged, and people were actually asked to are encouraged to ask questions. Novel idea. You hear some information, ask some follow-up questions about it. My girls are five and eight. They have taken this to a whole new level of the Socratic method. Uh, the other day, Friday, uh, just actually, we were sitting there and I was like, what do you all wanna watch on TV? We're just hanging out. And uh, they've seen me watch Star Wars here and there and they've caught little bits and pieces. Like, we wanna watch Star Wars. I was like, yes, this is it. They're gonna get, you know, connected. They're gonna love it. And so we began with Star Wars, with the spot you should begin with, Episode Four, the the original first movie. And we sat down, and I'm like, "This is it." And we're like, "I got my girls on the couch, and we're watching." And they asked me nine billion questions in the first thirty minutes, and I was like, "This is terrible. This is awful." They're like, who's that? Well, that's Princess Leia. Well, who's she? This is who she is. And who's that? That's Darth Vader. Why does he talk like that? And so then I gotta explain that. And I'm like, well, he got, you know, he got thrown in this fire and then he lost his legs, and then he had this and he couldn't breathe, and they had to put this. Well, where's that happen? Well, that was in the movie before this. Well, where's that one? Well, it didn't actually come out till 20 years later. And so then I'm having to go there and I'm going to all this backstory and I'm like, and by that time, they had no clue what was going on in the movie because they're asking me all these little questions. They've taken this to a whole new level. But here's the thing: when you hear something just like people in this day and age, and they, they were hearing the, uh, you know God's word, they're hearing about who God is, they automatically had questions, just like many of us do today. We hear something about God, and we've got to ask questions. Man, ask questions, just like they did. Another thing that happened here is that in 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks. Now, this doesn't sound like a, a, a great thing, right? But it happened, and there was this Peace, or maybe maybe a better word would be civility, civility, civility. they were civilized. They were civilized with each other during this time. And so they lived, you know, kind of in in, in peace together during this time. And the Romans, while this was going on, developed roads, highways, infrastructure as a part of, of their empire that was a really important thing to everything that was going on, not only in that 400 years, but what is to come. And so the other thing that happens here is something called the diaspora, which is uh, the correct term for, for us to understand and to know. It's the dispersion of the Jews, that Jews begin to disperse throughout the region. They begin to go to different villages and towns and cities, and they begin to move out and to spread out during this time of the Roman world. So all these, these, these four major kind of big things happen during this 400 years when we think God's silent, he's not doing anything. No, God was working because here's what he was either putting into place or he was allowing to happen because when Jesus came, this is what he wanted to happen. When Jesus is born for the first time in history, everyone can read the Bible in a language that they understand, everyone. Also, when Jesus is born, people are encouraged to ask questions and who gets to provide the answer? God. He answers the questions. The good news of the Savior could now travel in one common language. The roads, the highways, the infrastructure provided a way for the scattered Jews to spread the good news and to spread community to the entire world. You see, God was working. He was making preparations for what was to come. Have you ever felt like you're in a holding pattern or that God uh, is maybe giving you the, the silent treatment? let me tell you this for one thing you are not alone and you're not a a spiritual failure if you feel like this is what's going on think about some of the stories abraham and sarah waited 25 years to hold baby isaac they were 90 and 100 when that baby was born can you imagine that i have a hard time imagining that at my age okay like imagine that joseph waited 13 years and was imprisoned before he was able to rule egypt 13 years you think about the woman with the issue of blood in Luke 8 who lived that way for 12 years before Jesus healed her. How many days and how many times did she pray that prayer that she would be healed? And it was 12 years. You think about the crippled man in Luke 5 who waited 38 years until Jesus healed him. 38 years. He would pray. He would seek out opportunities for treatment and people would say I just need to be healed, but it took 38 years. How many times did he ask that question, why is God making me wait? just like some of you might be doing. Here's what I wanna tell you. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. While you're waiting, God is working. His delays are not necessarily his denials. Which leads to our third truth, and that's this. You might be waiting because it's not ready yet. You might be waiting because it's not ready yet. You might be waiting on an answer, a miracle, a provision, but maybe, just maybe, it's not quite ready yet. God might still be working on it, or... God might still be working on you. He might be preparing you for what is to come. Some of you are here, in, at whatever age you are, you thought you'd be married by now. You've prayed and prayed. You're still single. You're waiting. Some of you are married, but it's maybe not a, a, as positive or as uplifting as you hoped. And you're praying, and you're praying, and nothing's changed. Some of you have wanted a child for so long, and you've prayed, and month after month brings no good news. And you keep wondering, God, why are we waiting? God, what's going on? Some of you here think you deserve that job promotion, and you've been praying and praying, and no response, no answer. You're like, God, what's what's going on? Why am I being made to wait? Maybe you are ready and waiting. You're waiting for God to answer your prayer. You're waiting for him to answer it in your own time, though. But what if you aren't ready? Maybe it's ready, but maybe you're not. Maybe God is still working in you. You know, I I work with uh, our young adults here, and uh, one of the questions I get asked all the time is, Pastor Scott, do you know any good Christian men in their 20s or 30s that are single? My typical answer is no. It's a unicorn. It's like a you know Sasquatch, like you can't find that, right? It's really difficult. If you are one of those, by the way, see me after. I can have you like hundred dates lined up right now before you head out of here today. But it's hard to find. But people pray for this. And when I work, for our, when I work with our, our, our young adults, our single young adults, uh, I hear these things like, man, Pastor Scott, I, I want a good Christian woman in my life to be able to, to just to marry and to settle down. Or, Pastor Scott, I, I want to find that good Christian man to, to be able to just have this life with and to start life together. And, man, that's awesome. And I, and I pray with them and over them about those kinds of things. But one of the things I always do tell them in that moment, too, is are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? You're looking for a good Christian man. Are you what a good Christian man is looking for? Maybe take that moment, take that time to, to work on your own life to allow God to do something in you and do something amazing in you. You, you, want, to be, you want this experience and you want to, to have this, but are, but are you prepared for it? You know, Some of you that are in here, any single, every, every one of us, uh, myself included and everybody watching online, we want to be used by God to do something great, to do something amazing. But are you ready for that? Are you really ready for God to do something amazing in you and through you that you could experience the, you know, everything that he has to offer, this blessing, this, this action, this, this thing that you're going to do or that you're going to experience or receive? Are you prepared for it? So many times I don't think that we are. Now, number four says, before God does something for you, you need to let him do something in you. Before God does something for you, you need to let him do something in you. While we are waiting, we need to continue to grow. We need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our patience and our trust and our, and our understanding and our, and our dependence on him. We need to grow in our own personal relationship with Christ so that God can do something in us before he will do something for us or even something with us. What I want to tell you is this, don't waste the waiting. Wait time is prep time. Wait time is prep time. You think about when you sit, you go home and uh, maybe you skip lunch and you get home and there's a a meal being made, whether you're the one making it or your spouse is making it, somebody else is making the meal, but you're hungry, man. You you haven't eaten since breakfast and like you're starving and the waiting that's going on, you're smelling the smells. You can like almost taste it and you're like, man, I'm going to, I'll set the table. We're going to, we're going to get ready. Like we're going to put the plates down and we're going to put the napkins down, the silver. I'm going to get the drinks together. Maybe you're going to get a, you know, get an appetizer going, just kind of wet the palate and you know, like get ready and be ready for it so that when that meal comes, like You were ready to dig in. Why do we do that? Because waiting time is prep time. To be ready for what is to come. It's the same thing with our spiritual life. It's the same thing in our own life that we need to be prepared for what God is working on and going to bring to us and do through us. Isaiah 64 verse 4 says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Now that last statement there. A God who acts for those who wait for him. Our God, the Father of Jesus, is the only one who acts in those who wait for him. The best gifts are the ones that are invested in you that show a connection to someone. Nobody has ever cried over a tie that they've gotten for Christmas, okay? But they have cried over a picture drawn by their kid or their grandkid because there is a connection here. There is something that's being invested in them, right? Like the connection makes it that much better of a gift, The same thing that God does for us when he gives and provides gifts for us. You see, God in us, he moves with great authority and power to take us where we need to be. His power is something to connect to constantly. And in you, another thing he provides is he responds with thunderous majesty, but also a still, quiet voice of reason and comfort. His presence is something to rely on, something to trust in in our own life, and to always be able to do that. But also in us, he initiates and ignites the fire and passion in our soul that leads us to want him and to grow in our relationship with him while glorifying him in our actions and in our speech. The spark of salvation in our soul leads to a season of sanctification in our obedience. Our lives are a direct reflection of our thoughts about God, the way that we live our life The choices that we make, the ways that we obey or disobey, is a direct reflection of what we really think about God. You see, in you, He also interrupts your plans for the betterment of yourselves and this world. He has something so much better and bigger planned for us than we could ever think possible. What we need to know and understand is that we can't settle. It's not just this moment of, here's salvation, now I'm done. And we give our life to Christ, like, okay, cross that bridge, I'm good. I don't need to do anything else with it. No, that's just the beginning. Don't settle. Continue to push on. Continue to pursue after God. Hold a high standard for yourself, your actions, your desires, your faith, and begin to raise the bar on every single one of those areas in your life. See, God's ways are always good, His timing is always perfect. You can always trust Him, always. Whether He's speaking or maybe He is silent, but He's always working. Just because you haven't heard him recently, God isn't ignoring you. He's not neglecting you. Uh, he's not forgetting about you. He, he is preparing for you. Maybe he's even just working in you. He's working some amazing things in your own life. God knows you, and he knows the desires of your heart. The question is, does your heart match up to what your mind and your words say that you want? You know, Christianity uh, is unique among all religions in that every other religion says you pursue after their God. And you do things, you, you win favor with good behavior, with, uh, with rituals, with, with good deeds to earn the favor of God. But our God, the God of Jesus, who sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be born in a manger and to die on the cross for our sins, we serve after that God who pursues us. He came to us. He came to this world to live just like you and me to experience the things that we experience so that he could have this this relationship where he's able to sympathize with what we are going through and what we are experiencing, the temptation that we face, the struggles that we face so that he could die on the cross in our place. We serve a God who pursues after us. And when the time was perfect and right, God sent his son and they called him Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one that saves us. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. You know the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It goes on to say, ransom captive Israel. We are the captives. We are the ones that are captive by our own sin, that are held back from experiencing everything God has to offer. And he has come to redeem and to ransom us so that he can bring us back and to adopt us into his family. But we must surrender who we are and surrender to him as the Lord of our lives to experience everything that that little child was born in the manger so that we can have freedom and that we can have life. If you look in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patient with us. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants us all to reach repentance. So I'm gonna close with this question. What if the God that you are waiting for is actually waiting on you? Waiting on you to step out, waiting on you to act in obedience and to surrender your life to him so that he can continue to work in you and to bless you and to bring you everything that you need to not live in this world, but to live for eternity with him. Sounds like a great gift. That's the anticipation that we come into this week with as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. My hope is that you have a relationship with him and that you can find your faith and your trust in him. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful for your son, Jesus, and who we celebrate this week at his birth. Father, we are so thankful that you pursue after us by sending your son, Jesus, to come into this world to put on flesh, to seek after us, to live in the way that we live, to be tempted just like we are tempted. Father, to die on a cross in our place. Father, we celebrate Christmas in light of Easter to come. That this child is born into a manger to ultimately die on a cross in our place. Father, we are so thankful for that. Father, for those that are here or watching online that don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would know this, that you have created them that you love them, and that, God, that you are working something amazing in their life and you are calling them to yourself. They need to simply humble themselves to repent of their sin and to surrender their life to you, to experience a life of eternal blessing and joy found in you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.